Heavenly Father, as we turn to the Scriptures for insight, for help, for encouragement, for rebuke, come, Holy Spirit, and illuminate these words. Teach us, we pray, and make us teachable. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Um, I keep having to adjust my text to provide a hard stop at the end of November instead of March, as I had planned. And uh, uh, the text this morning is going to include verses 14 and 15. So, verse 10 through 15 uh, this morning, chapter 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The grass fades and the flower falls away, but the Word of God abides forever. Now, Paul's concern is the state of the church once he has gone. He's in prison. He's about to be taken out and beheaded. He doesn't know how long he's got. He thinks he has longer than he actually had. And he's writing to his friend and his protege, half his age, Timothy, in the church in Ephesus. And in the first nine verses of chapter 3, his concern has been to remind Timothy that opposition to the gospel defines the last days. The days from Pentecost to the second coming of Jesus, including the days in which we live today. And he wants to tell Timothy that difficult times are coming. And imminently, of course, for Paul, there was Paul's own death, and there was Peter's death, roughly about the same time. And within a matter of decades, less even, all but John of the disciples would be martyred, every single one of them except for John. Difficult times are coming. Once the church, and the church at this point in Paul's experience is right at the cusp of that 
uh, period when in the 40s and 50s, Rome regarded the Christian church as a sect of Judaism. And it enjoyed, therefore, the protection that Jews had under the Roman Empire. They were given, technically speaking, a position of religio liceta, which means that they came under a different set of rules. They had a measure of autonomy, especially in religious matters. Uh, and at this point, Rome regards the Christian church as merely a sect under Judaism, but this is about to change. And once that protection is removed, the church of the late first century and early second century and mid-second century will know fierce opposition from the Roman Empire. You think that the church has never been in such a difficult position as it is in 2023, and I urge you to go and read some church history from the second century. When God raised up apologists to defend the faith, to give a reason for the hope that lies within them, apologists for Christians who are being persecuted, but also apologists for the emperor. And there would be uh, church historians uh, who will write about uh, the second century and appeals that were made to the Holy Roman Emperor for justice and mercy and clemency. Now, He's warning about false teachers. And last week we were reminded of Paul's warning about false teachers. Now, I need to go back a little and say that false teachers are not, are not going to come knocking on the door and saying, hello, I'm a false teacher and I've come to, 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 to confuse you and to send you to hell. No, false teachers come in quietly and furtively and they aim for the weak and the uneducated, people who don't know their Bibles. It's one of the reasons why we have officer training. If you think that I went and slept during the interval between the first and second, uh, I want to disabuse you of that notion. Uh, I was teaching uh, our wonderful office bearers, uh, deacons and elders in the Westminster Confession. We were, we were in the depths of the doctrine of, the just, of justification by faith alone in Christ alone today. And that is so important. What did Luther say about that doctrine? It is the doctrine of the standing or falling of the church. It's vitally important that our office bearers understand the Reformation doctrine of justification, the answer to the question, how can I be saved? Well, today in this section 10 through 15, we see two things. Firstly, in verses 11 through 13, persecution, and in verses 14 and 15, perseverance. So firstly, let me pick up the word persecution in verse 11. The truth of the gospel will always be met by opposition. Note the you, you in, in the singular in Greek. He's talking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching. What is that? Well, that's mentorship. Paul has taught Timothy, he's discipled Timothy, he's mentored Timothy. And Timothy has followed him. And the Greek word here for follow is a very specific word. It's a word, it's a verb 
that Luke uses in the prologue of his gospel when he reminds us that he's done his homework, he's done his research. He'd been with the Apostle Paul for a decade. He'd watched him in the morning, he'd watched him in the evening, he'd listened to him in the daytime, in the afternoons, he'd taken notes. I imagine Luke took a lot of notes. And he says in his gospel, having followed all things closely for some time, that's the same verb, Timothy has followed Paul closely, taken notes, underlined life principles that he had learned from the Apostle Paul, just like the foundry, a ministry of discipleship for men and, and, and women, mentorship, where older believers will disciple younger believers for about a year or so. And there are hundreds in our congregation who've gone through that program. If you haven't gone through it, consider doing it. It's one of the most important things, I think, that the church does, right? This is well, he nodded. <laughs> now, notice what exactly Timothy has followed in Paul. And he mentions nine things. First of all, teaching. Interesting, isn't it, that that's the first thing teaching, doctrine, the shape of the gospel. It's vitally important that you understand the shape of the gospel, what it is and, and, and how it works. It's vitally important to know basic Christian truth and doctrine. Oh, I imagine Timothy had had been, had been schooled, and, and commentators and, and experts in Greek will tell you that there are things in, in, in the language here that seems, to, that seems to suggest that Timothy, that Timothy has actually been shaped in his belief, in, in the way he expounds the gospel, in the way he understands the core of Christianity, and it's been shaped by Timothy. Secondly, conduct, behavior. Uh, he'd watched him. Timothy had watched Paul. Watched him when no one else was around. Watched him in the morning. Watched him when he was eating. Watched him under persecution and trial. Watched him when he was opposed. I still remember an elder, Mr. Sampson, I'm going back 40 years, and Mr. Sampson was one of four elders uh, in the church in Belfast. He was blue-collar. He didn't go to college. He worked on the rail… he was a station master on the railways, on Northern Ireland railway system. And he loved trains and knew a lot about trains. But the time I knew him, he was in his late 70s. And the first week that we got there, he invited Rosemary and myself for coffee. And he meant coffee, and my wife doesn't drink coffee. It was the second time and only time 
that she drank a cup of coffee. When the coffee came, I looked at Rosemary and I said, you have to drink it. <laughs> this is one of those moments when you can't afford to offend. This is one of my elders. He was a godly man. I remember his prayers on a Thursday evening. I know Wednesday evening here, but in Belfast it was a Thursday evening. And I remember his prayers, and they were eloquent prayers. They were studied prayers. They, they were extemporary prayers, but they were studied and profound, and the language was deep, and you sensed that he knew God and that he walked with God, his conduct. He was a godly, godly man, and 40 years later, I still think of him. My aim in life, four words in English, one word in Greek. It's the word purpose. It's the word that you and I know from Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. Same word. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Paul had a plan. Paul had an ambition. Paul had a goal. And Timothy knew what it was. He wasn't ambivalent. You didn't hang around Paul for a week and say, you know, I don't know where this guy's going. Paul knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was going to do the next day. His faith, faith in the broader sense, I think, faith under trial. How he trusted God, even when it seemed that he was in the dark, under opposition, under trial, in difficult times. When the thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, an, ail an ailment, a physical ailment of some kind, Timothy had noted how his faith persevered. Patience, one of the fruits of the Spirit, under stress and provocation. Love, it's the word agape. Now, there are four words for love in Greek. One is eros, from which we get erotic. The word is not found in the New Testament. One is philia, think of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, so it's the love between siblings. Storge, which is the love of parents towards their children and children towards their parents. And then a word which, which existed in Greek but was hardly ever used. And the New Testament raised this word out of oblivion and gave it a very specific meaning, meaning a love that involves sacrifice. God so loved the world, agape, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then steadfastness. We sometimes use the synonym endurance. Keep on keeping on. That was how Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, ended all of his letters. He would say, keep on keeping on. That was his signature. Keep on steadfastness. Endurance. And then the two words, persecutions and sufferings. And he gives three 
examples, historical examples, personal examples of persecutions and sufferings. One in Pisidian Antioch. These are found in Acts 13 and 14. This is not Antioch, the base from which Paul was sent as a missionary in northern uh, Judea. This is Pisidian Antioch. And in Pisidian Antioch, the Jews persecuted Paul and drove him out. And he went to Iconium and again went to the Jewish synagogue where there was a plot to stone him, and they fled. And then in Lystra, where they actually did stone him and drag him out of the city and left him at the side of the road as though he was dead. Persecutions and sufferings. And he says in verse 12 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, some will be persecuted like John Bunyan in 1660 at the restoration of Charles II, and because of his refusal not to preach in churches, Anglican churches, because he wasn't ordained to preach, and he was imprisoned for 12 years. And he was released, and then six months later, he was imprisoned again for six months, during which he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But persecutions can come in different ways. It can come when teachers mock you because you don't accept the narrative of Marxism or its ugly stepchild critical race theory. Or when you are bullied because you will not use their preferred pronouns. And a million other ways where persecutions and sufferings may come. College in the early 70s was a whole lot different from college in 2023. So pray for our college students here this morning who are often at the front line of persecutions and sufferings, at least on the intellectual level. Persecutions and sufferings when you won't comply in your business to all the woke issues that they're asking you to comply with, and you cannot because of your faith, and a million other ways. And when that happens, turn to verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can forego the persecution by foregoing godliness. It's one or the other. You can have godliness and persecutions, or you can have ungodliness and a life of peace. Now, you notice how he goes on in verse 13 to say that evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I want to pick up that, that these false prophets in our time deceive themselves. A person can be sincere and absolutely deluded at the same time. 
At 17, when I was heading to college, I was heading to study physics and math, which is what I did. And I believed that science had all the answers, even to the answer to the question, how is there something and not nothing? And my answer was that nothing before the Big Bang, nothing produces everything. My sweet dogs, Luther and Gracie, came out of nothing. David Henderson came out of nothing. This building came out of nothing. Gravity and electromagnetism and whatever came out of nothing. Do you realize the nonsense that I'm talking? It is much easier to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead than to believe that something comes out of nothing. And I mean absolutely nothing. That you can deceive yourself that the point of view that you hold is actually right. That Hamas this morning can believe in the extermination of the Jews from the face of the earth, and that that is right. Then secondly, Paul's call to Timothy to continue in verse 14. But as for you, continue. You've started well, Timothy. And you were a good student, and you learned and God has gifted you, and good things are happening, I hear, in the church in Ephesus, but you must continue. You must persevere. And the motivation is twofold. First, interestingly, he says, knowing from whom you learned it. And I don't think he's necessarily speaking about himself, although he may be, but I think he's alluding to what he alluded to in chapter 1, to his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. He was raised in a godly home of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. His father was a Gentile. His mother may have been converted after they had married. We don't know. As I said a few months ago, that is so South Carolina. It's one of the great blessings of living in South Carolina that there are hundreds and hundreds of people who can say just the same as Timothy, that I was raised in my faith by a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And note in the order, the grandmother comes first. You have a godly grandmother who taught you and loved you, taught you the faith, showed you Jesus, read Scripture to you, sang with you, and you watched her and you loved her and you said to yourself, I want to be just like her. I think of Monica the mother of Augustine. Augustine was a, South, was a North African, 
from Hippo and a profligate teenager and had a, a mistress from whom there was a child and he was thrown out of the house. And in his biography, The Confessions, one of the most important books of church history, and it's not an easy book to read, so don't go immediately and think you can read it. It, it meanders from Dan to Beersheba. He keeps, he keeps losing the plot in the book because Augustine himself kept moving. And all the time, his mother would come. Monica would, would come. Wherever he was, Monica would find him. He went east, he says in the Confessions. And he's using a biblical metaphor. He's talking about going out of Eden and heading east. And I went east, and I went east, and I went further east, and every time my mother found me. One time he left in the middle of the night with no forwarding address, but she found him. And in her old age and poor health, she said to him, the only reason I want to stay alive is because I want to see you become a Christian. And he did, and she saw it. And what a Christian he became. Still a powerful influence on the church to this very day. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred Scriptures. Not only the motivation of his godly mother and grandmother, but he needs to persevere because of what he knows from Scripture. What Scripture? Paul isn't talking about Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, or for that matter, 2 Timothy. He's talking about the Old Testament. The Bible that Timothy had learned as a little boy was the Old Testament. And what did the Old Testament teach? It taught that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Read the text. People read the Old Testament and they say, I don't understand it. How is a person saved? How is David saved? How is Abraham saved? How is Moses saved? In exactly the same way as you and I are saved. In the promise of the Messiah that they foresaw through all the types and shadows that spoke of Him. My dear friend, I have 70 days left. I mean, as, a, as the senior minister. <laughs> yes, I have a countdown clock on my, on my phone. There was a young person in his early 20s, mid-20s maybe, at the door this morning, and he said at the 8.30 service, I haven't been in church in 15 years. And that may be you this morning. And maybe you're here, and you have a Bible, and you should bring a Bible to church. What did Harry Reader say about reading a Bible on the phone? It was like kissing your wife through a screen door. 
You should have several Bibles. And when you have that Bible in your hands, what is it teaching you? What's the main thing that it's teaching you? It's teaching you a thousand things. But what's the main thing that it's teaching you? That if you are going to be saved, you can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. If you are not saved this morning, run to Jesus, I urge you, for the time is short. The hour is nigh. Trust Him. Call upon Him. Ask Him to save you, to wash away your sins, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the devil always comes when you're trying to speak the gospel clearly. So hear me. The Bible, the teaching of the Bible is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would lay hold of you who have not come to Christ this morning and bring you to Him for Jesus' sake. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Pray that You would write it upon our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen.